So, what I wanted to start with on this Shavuot is kind of back to where it all started. Back on the mountain. So one thing that's very traditional uh, on this feast day, um, if you would turn to Exodus 20, is to read the ten words. So commandment one would be, I am Yahweh your Elohim who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Commandment two would be, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water underneath the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them. For I am Yahweh Elohim, I am a jealous Elohim, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. Three is you shall not take the name of Yahweh Elohim in vain, for Yahweh will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Number four, remember the Shabbat. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Shabbat to Yahweh your Elohim. On it you shall do not do any you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days Yahweh made heaven and earth, and the sea, and all that is in them. And he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, Yahweh blessed the Shabbat and made it holy. Number five, honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that Yahweh Elohim is giving you. Six, you shall not murder. Seven, you shall not commit adultery. Eight, you shall not steal. Nine, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And ten, you shall not cover your neighbor's house. You shall not cover your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. And what is our response to that? All that he says, we will do. Amen. What's the wrong response? Moses, you talk to him, because <laughs> we don't want to. Heavenly Father, we come before you, Father, in this Shavuot. We stand at the foot of the mountain, Father. We have heard your words, and we accept your covenant. Father, we also ask that you would send your Ruach HaKodesh, Father, over this people, over this congregation, and over your entire land. Father, bring shalom, bring peace to Jerusalem, to Israel, Father, because they are not in peace right now. Pour out your spirit upon us, Father. Send Yeshua. Hashem Yeshua HaMashiach. In 
Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. All right. <clears throat> Pretty funny, Tammy was, uh, and Mark, because we're talking a lot about uh, three. Your parable you mentioned about the three with the leaven, putting the leaven in the loaves, the three being a, uh, a fulfillment. Tammy also has a, uh, Tammy's the numbers person. I was going to say, what is, uh, what's the number three, the significance of three? Resurrection, right? Well, something very interesting. I'm surprised uh, Tammy would get a kick out of it, but I, she, uh, she had to run away real quick. But um, Do you know how long it's been, how they calculate how long it's been since the event at Mount Sinai this year? This year they're counting it as 3,333 years since the event at Mount Sinai. So how many threes is that? Four, right? So four plus three gives us the menorah. But what is four? What's the fourth day of creation? What was what was made in the fourth day of creation? Sun, moon, stars. It's the symbol of authority and governance. Since we have the authority and the governance here, we have four, and then we have the three of the resurrection, and we have the three of the fulfillment, the three of the end, uh, or the fulfillment the end of time, right, when we're getting ready to transition. I thought that was uh, so cool. So, Tammy, it was, uh, we're 3,333 days, or 33 years since the Mount Sinai event. Four threes. The other thing they talk about in threes is they talked about when you have one, that's all you have. When you have two of anything, what happens? Typically, it, the polar opposites is what's different between the two. It takes the third to bring the harmony to the two. It takes the third to bring it all together. That three-stranded three cord is not easily broken, right? So they talk about that like in a marriage. They say there's a certain type of marriage that where one of the two spouses is really headstrong and they're basically, everything is their way, their way, their way, their way, and the other spouse is just along for the ride. Then you have another type of marriage where that's not happening. They're equally balanced. You have... Both spouses, they're they're not neither one's being run over by the other, but at the same time, they're really almost like they're just cohabitating. They each have their own lives, they each have their own thing, they're kind of doing their own thing, and it's just kind of like a convenience almost to be married. They're really not going anywhere together as a couple. And then you have the three, where you bring Yeshua into the mix. You bring that as a focal point to bring those two individuals that are equally strong, 
are equally important, but have them on a common focus, and then that actually brings it into a unity. Amen? So with the event at Sinai, it was really, uh, there was that same type of dynamic happening. The creator of the universe came down from heaven in fire and lightning and thunder, right? Came down onto the mountain. And if that were it, we probably just couldn't handle it. It's just all the holy we can't deal with that. But when the creator came down, Moses went up. So earth came up to heaven. Heaven came down to earth. And when those two crossed, when those two came together, what did we get? The Torah. Because with the Torah, we can reconcile the Father. We can reconcile, we can see the, the we can see how us as mere flesh and the life that we have to live out here can actually work with the heavenly, it just seems like so untouchable and so much out there. The Torah is that intermediary. The Torah brings that together for us. And when we have the Torah, at the same time, the same feast, thousands of years later, we have the Ruach is given. The Ruach's given to be able to do what? The power. But what else is, what power does that allow us to do? We always say, what is to be witnesses? To be all the things that Torah asks us to be. We can't, you can't wield this properly without the Ruach. In the first century when Yeshua came and when the Ruach fell, did they know that the ones in Jerusalem were all kind of centered. Did they know Torah? So then why wasn't everything working all hunky-dory? It wasn't, it wasn't a good time. If you've studied that, that first century, even outside, I mean, we see a lot with just the Scripture, what happened with the believers. But you start reading the context of what was going on with the house of Shammai, the house of Hillel, the zealots, the essence, the all the different, the, the political infighting, it was a hot mess. Reminds me a lot of today. It hit me this morning when the Father dropped. Is like, you know, we are reliving that first century in just kind of a new modern way. Complete with the zealot party, right? So what were the zealots? The zealots were, they, they, what'd you say? Maccabeans on steroids. Basically, a lot of their focus, because of the situation they were in, they were underneath Roman rule. They were focused on the political ideology of the day and the injustices that were going on in the political realm that they couldn't control. They wanted righteousness to reign. 
They wanted the Torah to reign. We want the Constitution to reign. We want all these things that are true and right. There were a lot of zealots that were with Yeshua. Judas Iscariot was one of them, but he, he wasn't the only one. You'll, in the book of Acts, you'll find lots of ones that will call themselves. Now, let's say everybody kind of felt that way. So that being of the zealot party isn't wrong. Anything is wrong if it takes if it consumes too much of you and pulls you away from his word, if it pulls the fruits of the spirit away from you. Because if you focus 100% of your time on there, you're not going to be a really happy, pleasant, happy, loving person. It's just because it's just not, that's not what's going to feed us, right? So we have to have the balance of everything. Do we want absolute, do we want justice, do we want righteousness to reign? Absolutely we do. And so it's that, that balance we all find ourselves in. But it's just so funny to see that, the polarization to where everything's one thing or another. We need that third party, right? We have to be able to, as the body of Messiah, we need to be able to see the other side of the side that we don't even politically agree with, but still have the love of Yeshua for them. Because we fight not against flesh and blood, but principalities and spiritual realms, right? That's what we're really fighting. And that's really only conquered by prayer. So we keep praying, we keep moving. The other thing that Mark was uh, mentioning when he was waving the, uh, doing the wave offering. The wave offering is interesting. You know what the... Uh, what the purpose or what they think the, the symbology, the, what symbolizes the wave offering? Because remember, they waved the Levites too. And you talk about your back hurting? Woo! So the wave offering, the idea of the wave offering is actually you have to pick it up. You pick it up and you wave it, but the whole idea, the, really the action is the picking it up. It's what was in the ground you're actually taking it off the ground. Why? Because we want to give, it's basically it's a reminder for us, everything that we wave as a wave offering, that even though it did come from an earthly source, we're picking it up to show that, no, it actually came from you. It came from our Creator. It was a blessing from our Creator, and we have to be constantly reminded of that. So in Leviticus 23, when we're discussing the Feast of Shavuot, it's kind of a narrative that kind of runs through where it talks about, it starts off with the, uh, what we call the Feast of First Fruits. And uh, in Leviticus 23, 11, it says, And he shall wave the sheaf before Yahweh so that it may be accepted. On the day after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it. Okay, a sheaf is what? Sheep is a measurement, right? But it would be a bundle, right, of what? Is it a bundle of bread? It's grain, right? It's barley grain, but it's actually, a, the form of it is actually grain. So he didn't actually start off with this journey we went on. We didn't start off with bread. We didn't even start off with unleavened bread. We started off with the seed form. We started off with potential. And that potential was waved before the Father. 
to show that, look, you gave us this. What you started, you will finish. And as we count through the Omer all the way to the end, we get to this day, and Mark demonstrated where we actually have a grain that is actually ground. It's mixed with the water. What's the water? His word. So if we're the grain, that was the potential. Through this process, through that leavening, right, we're actually we're getting the water mixed in, and we're getting the yeast, the real yeast of the Spirit. That's why Mark said that, yes, a lot of times leavening in Scripture is a negative thing. It's like, well, we don't want to be leavened, but we want to be leavened with the right thing. The Spirit, His Ruach in us, can grow into a very healthy, fruitful thing, which we need to be. The other thing that can get in is what? Mark talked about it, the leaf wrapped up in itself. The thorn, which is pride. What does Scripture say pride does? What does yeast do? What is Right? So what is causing your air bubbles? What's puffing you up? Is it his ruach or is it your pride? In the first century, there's a whole lot of pride puffing up that bread. And it's not exclusive to the first century. But you got to say, when the prophets were sent to the nation of Israel, every time the prophets were sent, was it because everything was going awesome? No, exactly the opposite, wasn't it? It was always, things are bad, I got to send me a prophet. Before I spank that hiney, I got to to warn them. So if the prophet of all prophets, the Mashiach himself gets sent in the first century, things are really going bad, right? We had a thing, I mean, outside of, we we know what happened in Scripture with the Christians, right, With, uh, with our fellow believers in Messiah. But there was things like uh, the house of Hillel and Shammai got into a thing. There were like 3,000 people were killed over religious disputes in the same religion. That's how bad everything was. They said the second temple was destroyed because of hateful, spitefulness towards brothers. We, on the other hand, are called to be better. Pages sticking together. Other thing I thought was very interesting, just as a quick tie-in. We talked about this is the fourth, the candlestick, the menorah, right? It comes down that center branch. Comes down and it's got a base. It's got roots. Right? It's like a tree trunk. It's the roots and you got the trunk. We're not talking about the pretty fruit on the outside. We're talking about the thing that nourishes everything. This actually comes from a heavenly source because if you were to picture a true menorah in the spiritual sense, picture this duplicated, flip it up on side to where you actually have circles. You have concentric circles 
But the same thing, you have a base above coming down to below. That's the picture of Sinai. That's the heaven, Yahweh himself coming down and connecting to earth below. And that thing, we talk about Kaya's a lot, how like three and uh, three and five are connected and all these are connected. But when you get to the center one, it's just it. There is no this is that and this is connected. No, this is this. This is the core foundation. It's not always as pretty and sexy as, as all the stuff on the outside that's got all the bling-bling, but it is the sustaining nourishment of the whole system. The Feast of Shavuot is tied deeply, actually, to another, I guess you would say feast. It's more of a time. To count, to get to Shavuot, we're to do what? Count the Omer, which is, how are we to count it? Shabbat Shabbaton, right? Seven complete Sabbaths. It's the idea of completion. It's seven sevens. After seven sevens, that's 49, then there's a 50 today. Where else in Scripture do we see seven sevens followed by a 50? Yovel, right? So seven Shemitah would be the seven. Seven sevens plus one is the Yovel, and that's what we're all looking forward to. What happens on Yovel? The land gets returned, a full reset back to the original owners, right? So everybody goes back. And the second thing that happens is all the slaves are set free. What I thought was interesting is there's no choice in this matter. You remember the, part of the Torah portion where if you were a slave and you were a servant in a house and you loved your master and things were a lot better here than they were back at home? And you went, what, you went to the doorpost and got your ear out there and they put the all in there and they, they, they did that and said, I'm yours? Until the Jubilee. The Yovel or the Jubilee, actually everybody goes back. It is a reset. It's to show the Father does not change. We can't take control. We can't continue to create our destiny. Shemitah keeps resetting that every seven years. Every 50 years there's a greater reset back to where it was to show that we're not in control. I'm not in control. He is in control. We are just, we have the vineyard leased to us. We are to work and keep as humble servants because guess what? We are all servants in his kingdom. But not only is that 49 days and 49 years tied together, what happens on the, Yo, the Yovel, or the, uh, which is the Hebrew for Jubilee, Right? They sound a shofar on Yom Kippur to announce it. Well, guess where the first place you see Yovel in Scripture is? Mount Sinai. And actually... ahead. In Exodus 19, we're just at Exodus 20. In Exodus 19, 
starting in verse 10, says, Yahweh said to Moshe, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their garments. We know about this, right? And be ready for the third day. There's that third day we've been talking about again. For on the third day, Yahweh will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. And you shall set limits for the people all around, saying, Take care not to go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. In 13, it says, No hand shall touch him, but he shall be stoned or shot. Whether beast or man, he shall not live. And in my English translation, it says, When the trumpet sounds, a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. But where it says, when the trumpet, or the trumpet there in Hebrew is Yovel. When the Jubilee sounds, there's an establishment that's happening. That's the idea. They were slaves. They are a people being brought back together for the first time, right? They've been brought out of Egypt. They've been brought out of slavery, but they're not a people. We have to be a people. He's establishing that there. Same thing with the Yobel. Every 50 years, he reestablishes it. And the other place that's odd that's in Scripture for the Yobel, where it's actually, uh, it's actually listed more than once, a few different times, as a ram's horn, and that would be Jericho. The seven ram's horns that the priests carried and blew when they went around that wall, that was a Yovel shofar. So why would that, how would that connect? Because his people, Revelation 21, talks about the new Jerusalem coming out of heaven. And said, it has come down and it's adorned as a bride. I thought we were the bride. Yes, you got to understand, it's about his people in his land. The restoration of all things is us being restored back to the covenant, back to the land. That's a piece we don't have yet. I mean, it's just beginning over there, but at some point, that land will open up to us. And that land will expand to absorb all of us. It may not look like the math doesn't work. It never does in his economy. But he supernaturally stretches it. When people are righteous and people come together, that land stretches to contain all of his people. Just to wrap up with in Galatians 5, Go back around, back to the first century again. I know we all know the spirit. We all know this. We studied it many times. Mark's done some series on it. But in Galatians 5, starting at 19, it talks about the works of the flesh. And we cover about a lot about the works of the flesh, things that we're not supposed to do, we should be staying out of. 
it talks about the sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, so sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalry, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like this. There's a lot of things in there that we see big ones and we say, oh, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to the idol maker, uh, I'm not practicing sorcery, I'm not going to the whatever, the orgies, all the, a lot of stuff like that doesn't apply, it must not be me. Well, I'll tell you right now, in the religious community, of Yeshua's day when he was walking around, a lot of that stuff absolutely was not going on because they were pious people. But I'll submit to you that enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, and envy were running rampant. So what's the cure? For the fruit of the flesh. The fruit of the Spirit. That's why, or that's one of the main reasons why that Spirit had to come to move. Because without it, this became a weapon. Brother against brother. And also, this was a big weapon to keep Jew from Gentile. But the answer to it all is in verse 22. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. Why does Paul start off with love? Yahweh is love. And you, if you don't have it, Paul, if you read through Acts, read through his journey, he didn't start off with a lot of love. He learned that. The very, very beginning of his ministry didn't really talk about a whole lot of fruit, but you can see it building. I think Yeshua was teaching him, the Father was teaching him step by step to love. That's what he didn't have in his upbringing, right? He was getting all the great knowledge and the great spiritual truths. He did not have love. And you could tell that from his letters, how he preached so much on love. But love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. So today... On this Shavuot, we want the gifts. We want the power to move. We need to enable the power to move. But if we don't have the fruit of the Spirit evidence in us, and we are portraying the fruit of the flesh, that power is not going to move. We need the power, but we have to display the fruit of the Spirit. 